fix everything about it. She wasn't going to fix anything that wasn't broken all the way to the ground, and even then, not always. Her sign fell down ten years ago. It hung from one chain for three years, and everyone just ducked under it. Finally, it went for good, and somebody carried it off. Her windows hadn't been washed in years, but any suggestion that they should be would be met with a rag and a bottle of Windex set at your table. Clara was such a cantankerous individual, the boys were worried that she'd see through their gift of the coffee urn and refuse to use it. Then not only would they still be drinking burned coffee, but they'd be out several hundred dollars to boot. It had to be presented in just the right way, and Clara was not an easy person to present to. The only joy she seemed to get out of life was from the little toy poodle she kept. It's one of those white, stiff-legged things that never holds still and never stops barking. High, squeaky barks with a question mark on the end of each syllable. She used to bring it to work with her, but Bud Koenig put an end to that by pouring coffee on it every time it walked by his chair. Clara never caught him doing it, but the dog disappeared soon after. Despite the lack of affection between Clara and her customers, it was a long and steady relationship. At six o'clock every morning, the usual gang would pile in and take their places at the big table in the back. This mud tastes like an old singed boot, someone would say to Clara, and then the morning discourse would commence on any subject from red salmon to road salt, Haley Mills to heavy machinery. The big table was sort of the honors club of Clara's coffee cup. There were other tables in the joint, but they were rarely used by locals and were there solely for the sake of the tourists who didn't know the hierarchy of the place. The lunch counter was the bullpen for the big table. As honor members drifted off one by one to their jobs and distractions, the relief players at the counter would amble over one at a time to fill their chairs. There was no system anybody knew of to get a permanent seat at the big table unless somebody died or Clara got a bigger table, death being the better bet. Clara didn't like the big table. All she saw in that grand assemblage of local color was a lot of egos with not enough to do. She'd overhear all their stories, listen to them whine about politics, fishing, and potholes, and her scowl would work its way deeper into her sad face. They were all just obnoxious little boys to her. Nobody knew or bothered to speculate on where Clara Weekly's basic unhappiness came from. Only Clara knew that, and even she never really thought about it that much. It went back to her youth, actually, or absence of youth would be more appropriate. You see, Clara's mother died when she was 17. Her father, while not abusive, was at best absent, and the responsibilities of Karen for her younger brother Richard fell on her. Richard was two years old at the time, and the terrible twos have known no better participant. He was headstrong and fragile at the same time. 
He'd go from argument to tears at the wave of a hand. He toilet-trained slowly and generally consumed all of Clara's energy for at least those first five years. What happened because of this is that Clara missed her youth. During that time of life when she should and would have been meeting young men and sparking, she was home, mostly alone with Richard, playing mother. She hated it. She always hated it. The fact that she couldn't have any friends over without Richard being underfoot. The fact that Richard was so much work to be around. Her father died when Richard was only ten, and she became a full-time guardian. What happened because of this is that Richard was really the only male human being she had ever known. In light of this, Clara bases all her opinions of males on her experience.